0: If you have already opened your Bibles to the Gospel of John, I'm sorry, but we're going to be moving back, and we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14 this morning. Um, just really felt like this was a message that our church, that I needed to hear, and I ju- there's just people struggling with stuff, and I really feel like God has set aside. I think the reason Adam could not come this morning is because God wanted us in this text This morning. See, whether you've been a Christian for a very long time, or maybe you are not a Christian this morning, we all have these things in life that enslave us, things that hold us captive. It could be an unhealthy relationship. It could be a lie that you're living in or living behind. It could be an addiction or a career. It could be a fear. It could be an unhealthy hobby. It could be money, a bottle, a pill, a computer screen. It could be forgiveness that you've been withholding. But whatever it is that you're holding, the longer you live with it, the greater sense of security or identity you find in it. You begin to give yourself to it because you feel this some sort of security or safety. And often it's, you don't even know it, it's subconsciously that it's beginning to take root and take hold of your life. And no matter how much in bondage you feel, no matter the weight of it, how much it has enslaved you, the thought of trying to escape it is actually scarier than remaining in it. Why? Because the outcome of remaining in it is predictable. You have learned to live with it. You've learned to cope with it. And trying to escape that which enslaves you is more unpredictable because you know the outcome if you stay in slavery... It's predictable, but believing God to walk you out of that and taking steps of obedience to get out of that is very unpredictable. For even though you are shackled to it, you find some sense of security or identity in it. It has some sort of hold on you because you have lived in it or with it for far too long. And it begins to make you feel secure. And then anytime you try to escape it, you begin to feel vulnerable. You begin to feel exposed. You begin to feel scared of the outcome for its unknown territory when you begin to face the very thing that binds you. But then there are moments that you know that you can't take it any longer. You're like, I've had it, I've lived in this slavery, I've lived in this broken relationship, I keep returning to it like a dog does its vomit and I don't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why do I keep going back to the thing that holds me bondage when I hate where I'm at? And you come to these moments where you know that there has to be more. You know that this thing in your life is enslaving you, and it can't continue to shackle you because you're living in bondage to it. So what happens? We begin to take steps of faith, and we begin to go into these areas. We begin to confront these areas, and maybe for a short moment, you're like, man, life is amazing, Like this is what freedom is like when I'm being honest with my spouse, when I'm not hiding in this whatever is holding you captive. And you begin to feel this sense of freedom and you begin to taste it. Like you just begin to taste what it could be like to live in the freedom that Christ has offered. And in that moment, the enemy comes back and attacks you with more vengeance than ever before. The very thing that enslaved you is coming at you harder than it ever did before, and you begin to feel like it would just be easier to return where you came from. Even though you aren't free, at least you're safe and secure hiding behind it or in it. The problem is, it's a false sense of security. See the enemy wants you to think that you're safe and secure in that which is holding you captive But it's false. It's a lie. It's no security. It's no safety at all He wants to keep you from living in the freedom by making you think that at least you're safe and secure in your shackles, right? Almost as if you're in prison at least in prison You have food and water and you have a roof over your head and there's some sort of security No, no one can get into you, right? And so you begin to think, man, this thing that enslaved me, it's very difficult to deal with it, so I'm just going to revert back to it, because at least I have some security and safety. Hear this, the enemy doesn't want you to face that which you fear, because facing that which you fear is the gateway to your freedom. So he wants to make you feel secure, even if you aren't free. See, what we're going to see today as we open Exodus chapter 14 is this. God will often lead us to the places we fear the most for the purpose of setting us free. Not so that we boast in our freedom, but that we boast upon his faithfulness, the faithfulness of the one who has set us free. See, he leads us to the places we fear so that he might show himself faithful. God, I'm asking you this morning that you would do the things that I cannot do. That as we dive into your word, God, that as we open your word, your living, breathing, sovereign, unfallible, God, word that you have given to us that you would do the things that I cannot. God, I know that in this room there are a variety of people that are hurting. God, that are dealing with life circumstances that are out of their control. God, that are eating them alive and they begin to enslave them, God. And I pray this morning by the power of your spirit that you would set your people free, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That we would no longer live in bondage, that we would no longer live enslaved, but that we would see that you fight for us. That you lead us to these places that are scary for one purpose, that you would set us free. And it's our job to be obedient to confront them and walk into it and deal with it. So, God, have your way in this place this morning. Do the things that I cannot, Holy Spirit. Filter my words, and would I not get in the way? God, would you make me invisible behind this platform, God? And would your voice ring with power? God, we love you, When we prayed in Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 14, if you have your Bible, says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know what? That I am the Lord, and they did so. So here is God, and he's saying he's going to lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and I think we have a map here that if we can pull up, it would be amazing, Because what God has done is on the way out of Egypt, he leads them down south, as you can see on, it's kind of hard to see, but there's a white line that drops down, and then he leads them back north, and then he says, oh, by the way, we're going to turn you around again, and we're going to go back south, and I want you to stand here and face the sea. They don't know why they're facing the sea. (laughs) To them, it's probably crazy, right? You would think, well, were they being disobedient? I mean, why did God have to turn them around? They weren't being disobedient at all. If we see in Exodus chapter 13, they were just following God's lead. They were going to the very place that God had led them, and he was leading them south, and then he brought them north, and then he said, oh, by the way, we're going to turn around again and go back where you already came from. And to Israel, they had to think, this guy is crazy. (laughs) Why didn't we just stop there to begin with? But the whole time, God's saying, just follow me, lead me, and we're gonna go back to the place that we've already come, but I have a reason for it. See, were they being disobedient and where they had already gone? No, we see that in chapter 13, verse 17 and on, that God had a perfect purpose, it was in his providence and it was in his timing that he led them through the wilderness on this journey, and we're going to see why, because God wanted to set his people free. We have one more slide this is where god brought them there's different um, ideas of where the exodus could have happened but according to what scripture just said i think this is it it's called the strait of tyran it's this natural land bridge that that really goes through this channel and here's some detail it's 11 miles wide it's a natural land bridge that provides 2600 feet of pathway beneath the surface The depth of the water off each side of the land bridge ranges from 2,600 feet to 5,900 feet deep. The first passage is known as the Enterprise Passage. It is 600 feet deep as you drop into it, but then you come back up it, and it's 2,600 feet long, and the deepest point on this is 42 feet, and it's 42 feet deep for nine miles. After that little land bridge, there's what's known as the Grafton Passage, and it's only 230 feet deep, but also 2,600 feet long. So God brings them to this place, and they're grumbling as we're going to see, and says, I want you to plant here by the sea, and I want you to look at the sea. And they're thinking, why are we looking at the sea? This is crazy. We just came back where we already came from. They couldn't see what was below the surface. They couldn't see this land bridge that was before them, and they had no idea what God was about to do. See, when God had a reason, he had a reason for these specific directions, and when God gives directions, they're for our good. (laughs) Because he has a plan when we can't see it. But as we're going to see, he calls us to be faithful, to follow him, and obedient to go to the places that he leads us to. So the first thing we see as we walk through this passage is this, obedience often appears as wandering. Obedience in our life, in the Christian life, often appears like wandering, like what in the world is going on, God? I feel like I'm in a desert, you're leading me down here, you're leading me up there, you're leading me back here, and I don't even know what's going on. (laughs) Like my life makes no sense, it feels like it's spiraling out of control in fact pharaoh as we saw in this text viewed israel's obedience to god as wandering he was mocking both god and people sitting in the wilderness saying hey in the wilderness has shut them in (laughs) we got them we'll just narrow them right down into that little part of the sea and we're going to attack from behind and we're going to destroy the very people that god just brought out of our land They're just wandering. See, here's the deal. Obedience to God will often appear as wandering to others and sometimes even yourself. It's amazing as I look back at my life, how many years of my life leading up to this church plant that Caroline and I felt like we were wandering aimlessly in the desert. It's like, oh, man, God would do something, and he'd show himself, and we're like, oh, maybe this is the moment that we're going to finally step into what God has. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, he shut that door, and now I'm just here like, what the heck is going on now, God? You just put me in this wilderness to let me wander? Like you don't even have a plan? See, not only to us, not only did Caroline and I feel like we were wandering But I promise you this, many people looking on thought the same thing. And I heard it a bunch. Oh, man, Luke, he didn't have his life figured out. (laughs) That crazy man, he goes from this school to that school and he follows what he thinks God's telling him to do. (laughs) He had this career opportunity and turned it down. He had that career opportunity and turned it down. And what is he doing? He's just wandering around doing nothing with his life. And you know what? Sometimes I began to believe that. That I was just wandering aimlessly in a desert, and God had led me to a place just to leave me there and let me just wilt. But now looking back, those wilderness wanderings were the very hand and the very intention of God. See, the Israelites followed God back to the shore of the sea, not knowing why or what laid below The surface. They were just looking at this span of water saying, Oh gosh, now what do we do? (laughs) Just gonna sit here until you turn us again, God? See, here's the deal. We saw in this text it says, And they did so. So even though their wandering felt like crazy mess. God said, go to the sea and stand there. What did they do? They were obedient to go to the sea and stand there. See, obedience in your life will often appear as wandering. However, what is wandering to the world is often obedience to God. Don't miss it. The world does not dictate your life nor direct your life. God does. Are you listening to his voice? Because sometimes it's going to feel like you're in a desert and you're just hanging out to dry and he's left you there to wilt. But there is intention with it. There is refining with it so that he can show himself faithful. Stay true. Remain obedient. If God calls you to turn back and stand facing the sea, you stand by the sea and face it and wait. And if you don't know what to do while you're waiting, remain obedient to the last command he gave you until you hear the next. See, Israel didn't know. They're just standing in front of the sea, thinking, oh, God. yeah, God brought us out of Egypt, and now what do he do, just hang us here to dry? Verse 5 When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this that we have done, that you have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over them all. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. (laughs) Sound familiar? (laughs) Going out defiantly. God tells you to do something. He tells you to go somewhere. And this word defiant literally means bold disobedience or open resistance. See, they were being obedient, but they were being resistant in their obedience. I've been there more times than I can count. I yeah, got I'll wander through the wilderness, and I'll be obedient, but in my heart, I don't want to be. In fact, I don't even believe that you're true anymore. In fact, I don't even believe that you're able anymore because I've been in this wilderness for so long and wandering aimlessly. Are you even true? And sometimes obedience just comes out of this heart of, well, I'm just going to do it because you said to do it. But you know what? That's not always bad. Because even if you don't feel like being obedient, God uses our obedience if we will walk in the direction he has called us to go. Verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and all his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Piahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. What do we see? The second thing we see is this. That which has enslaved you will not easily release you. See, God had led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's hand, through the plagues, through we, we we don't have time for this, but the ten plagues that God just showed his hand of power over his people to liberate them. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh's like, okay, fine, go. Get out of here. You're destroying my land. And Israel has is not gone long before Pharaoh realizes all of my workers and all of my laborers have just left. How in the world am I going to build this empire? So in that moment, he tells his people, we got to go back and get those Israelites. Unless you, all my servants, want to do all the labor, you better go get them. See, Israel had been enslaved to them for years, and Pharaoh had released them, but now Pharaoh is coming back after them. See, while God had freed Israel, they attacked again. Pharaoh could not bear the thought of Israel being free. So God strategically brought Israel to this place, not only to free them, but to make them face what? Their enemy, to make them face that which they had feared. crazy. That God had already brought them out and he said, okay, I'm going to lead you down and then I'm going to lead you back up and then I'm going to lead you back down and I'm going to call you to stand by the sea. And the very reason I'm going to have you stand by the sea is because the enemy that I had just freed you from is going to come after you again and I'm going to make you face them. I'm going to make you face the very people that you fear. See, just like Pharaoh could not stand it. The enemy can also not stand the fact that God frees those who surrender and walk in obedience to him. But because of this, the enemy is going to attack again the things that you think you're liberated from. Past and current addictions, he's going to come back with vengeance. Pain, suffering, that which you thought you were free from, until the pressure point hit. See, that which has enslaved you will not easily release you. The enemy does not want you free. Well, you are free in Christ. We often live in this bondage, the very thing that has enslaved us, and we don't walk in obedience, and we don't follow him, and we don't live in the freedom that he has offered. See, that which had enslaved you when you were dead in your sin is not going to easily release you. That's why people struggle with addictions. That's why people struggle with past hurt. That's why people struggle with unforgiveness. That's why all of this stuff happens because we have an enemy and he hates you and he's out to kill you. But God has set you free and often we don't walk in it (laughs) because we're afraid to face the very things that we fear. See, just because you have been set free does not mean that you are walking in freedom. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. See, don't be ignorant of the fact that the enemy wants to steal what God has granted, because to do so is a grave mistake. All that previously enslaved you will try to hold on to your soul, but for those in Christ, the enemy knows that you have been set free and will attempt to keep you from living as if you were. See, here's the deal. Think of it like this. It'd be like me being in prison, and the prison guard comes and opens the prison door, and I'm looking at the open door, yet I still remain in the cell as if I'm in bondage. So often we as the church live the same way. Christ has set you free. If you are in Christ, if you have believed upon his finished work, you are free. But often we sit in this jail cell and look out and think, man, I wish I could be free man, I can see the light, I can see the sun, I can see the guards. I mean, they're bringing food and they've opened it, but I'm just going to sit here on my hard bench and live in bondage. It's the same thing that we deal with often because we refuse to walk into things that God has laid before us. We refuse to be obedient. We refuse to face the very things that we fear and therefore we remain in bondage. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they what? They feared greatly. You probably would too. (laughs) I probably would too. If I'm looking in an army of tens of thousands of men that had just enslaved me or coming after me, and I'm standing here, and that's the ocean, and they're coming there, I ain't Jesus, I ain't walking on water. (laughs) So the one thing I'm going to have to do is turn around and fight or just wait for them to kill me. So obviously they were greatly, greatly afraid. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, then said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? (laughs) Hey, Moses, is your whole plan, you just, there wasn't enough dirt in Egypt? (laughs) You just took us out here to the wilderness because it's barren everywhere and we can bury millions of people out here? because it sure looks like that at this moment. You said we were free, and here comes the enemy again to kill us and bury us in the grave. What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt, Moses? Verse 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Don't miss this. It's important. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness hear this many of us would rather die in slavery than trust God in the wilderness many of us would we'd rather be in Egypt we'd rather be bound to our sin we'd be rather bound to our addictions than face the things that that give us fear the very things that want to set us free, many of us would rather die in slavery than trust God in the wilderness. Why? Because the fear of the enemy was greater than your belief in the God that you serve. I think it's very interesting that in this text, it says, As the army was coming, they lifted up their eyes and saw the army, but their eyes remained on the army. They, they refused to look higher and look to the God who could crush the army, but their whole attention was on the enemy attacking them. Not the God who had brought them out and not the God who was going to free them and liberate them. See, this is the deal. Fear naturally produces an emotion of seeking after protection and security. They're saying, I would rather be in Egypt because at least I'm safe. At least I have food. At least, I, don't, I mean, I may be in bondage, but at least I'm secure. Isn't it interesting how the fear of the unknown will of us often drive us back to what we know, even if it's the very thing that has held us in bondage? See, bondage is always a false sense of security. The lie of bondage is that it screams safety. You'll be safe if you stay in Egypt. You'll have food. You'll have water. You'll be safe if you stay in your lie that you're hiding from your spouse or your family or your friend. You'll be safe if you stay in your addiction. You'll be safe if you stay wherever you're at that's enslaving you. You may not be free, but you'll be safe, but it's a lie. See, here's the reality. When you have been enslaved and are living in bondage to something for so long, the enemy deceives us into thinking that even if we aren't free, at least we're safe and secure. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. You're not free. You're in bondage. You're not living in the freedom that Christ has given you. And we often desire security over freedom. So we return to that which enslaves us, even if the outcome is bondage, just like I said earlier, like a dog returning to his vomit. What are you returning to this morning that offers a false sense of security? Maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a poisonous relationship that you keep leaving, but then you are so afraid of of being alone that you return back to it again. Because it gives you this sense of security, it gives you this sense of safety. Maybe it's a certain sin or isolation, maybe it's a career or a hobby. Maybe you find your identity in your hobby and you keep going back to it. Maybe it's an old friend group. Man, I know these guys are horrible influences on me, but I just, like, at least it's fun with them. I feel some sort of safety. I feel some sort of security because they're my bros. Whatever it may be, but the reason we often remain enslaved is that we would rather die with a false sense of security than trust God to sustain us while we walk into the unknown. See, it's scary to trust God on the path to freedom. Because to trust him takes vulnerability, humility, and faith. Faith that God knows what's best. Faith that God will lead you out of this situation. But the difficult thing about faith is you don't know the outcome. We don't know what's going to happen if we approach our wife and say, man, I have something to share with you, babe. Like, I've been hiding this from you for a very long time, and it's eating me alive. We don't know the response. So that's why we return to what enslaves us, because we're afraid of her response. We're afraid of what may happen, friction in the relationship if we approach. But I promise you this, if you let it go on too long, it's going to be nothing compared to what it does to the relationship when the devil exposes it. Or when God exposes it for your good. So you don't know the other's response. You need to trust that God is going to show up. But I'm telling you, you're much better off to trust God in the wilderness than die in slavery. Verse 13, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. Hear this, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Kind of like Moses' heart speech, Right? Like, man, every man dies, but not every man will live. Like Moses is pumping his people up. He's saying, we serve a God that will bring salvation to us today. And then what happens? And then he says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And then listen to this. I think it's quite ironic. Something happened here where I think Moses was doubting the very thing he was proclaiming because it said, then the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people to go forward. It's almost like Moses was pumping up his people that we were about to charge the enemy. God was going to liberate his people, and then something happened because he was crying to God, probably in fear of saying, well, God, the enemy's coming, and God says, why are you crying to me? Go forward. Do the things I've called you to do. But we're often the very same way, right? Right? We preach at other, God's going to set you free from that addiction or God's going to heal your marriage or God's going to sell your business or God's going to save your kid, etc., etc., etc. But then with the very same confidence, we assured others that God was going to move. We lack the very faith ourselves. Trust me, I speak from experience. Verse 16, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go in after them and I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and all his chariots and all his horsemen. This is God's response once he says move forward. When God says move forward and we move forward, he does the rest. Our job is to obey. God's job is to act. Verse 18, and the Egyptians shall know what? This is amazing, that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And then it says this, then the angel of God, whom was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them in a pillar of cloud, moved from before them and stood behind them. We know from leading up to this passage that this is how God led his people through the wilderness, a fire by night and a cloud by day. So the fire at night and the cloud by day had led them to this place in the sea where they to look out and see nothing but a a raging sea between them and the enemy coming in behind. And in this moment, God says he went from before them and he came around behind them with the fire and the cloud. First time since he had been leading them through the wilderness that he came in behind Coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was a cloud and there was darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Before I go on, I want to say this. An east wind in Scripture usually has to do with judgment. In this one, it was hot and dry, The same wind that was described by Joseph to Pharaoh when he was describing his dreams, this east wind was going to bring judgment. We see it in Genesis 41, in 41.6, in 41.23, and 41.27. It's also known as a fierce wind in Scripture. We see it in Isaiah and Job. And we also see it as a wind that scatters and wipes out people who are against the God of heaven. And we see that in Job, Jonah, and Jeremiah. So here's God bringing this east wind that usually represents judgment. verse 22, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Don't miss that. Sometimes we read this like, oh, that's amazing. God split the sea. Well, it is. Have you ever like walked through dirt after it rained? It's not dry. (laughs) It takes a while for the mud to dry up. Not with God. He said, not only did he divide the sea, but he gave them dry ground to walk across. And the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in a pillar of fire and a cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us free, flee from before Israel. Why? Don't miss it. For the Lord fights for them and against the Egyptians. What do we see? That which God leads you to, he is faithful to push you through. It's an amazing thing about God. That if he leads you to a place of having a conversation with your spouse, he's right there with you in it. If he leads you to a place of getting off of the computer screen at 1 a.m., he's right there with you in it. If he leads you to a place of repentance, maybe someone who has hurt you a long, long time ago, and you've been withholding forgiveness, he comes along and pushes you through it. See, God led his people to the sea, and he was faithful to push them through it. Think about it, the very cloud of fire The very same cloud and fire that led them to the shore was the same cloud and fire that pushed them through. God pushed his people to freedom, but also led their enemies to their destruction. It's amazing. See, if God leads you to have a discussion with someone about something that has been going on in secret, he will be faithful to push you through it, but hear this. You may not come out without bruises. (laughs) Why? Because there are consequences for sin. If you share something with your spouse that you've been hiding from them for a very long time, I'm not saying God is just going to make your spouse be like, Oh, babe, thank you so much for sharing that. Like, I can't believe you would even come and tell me that. That's so sweet. You want to go to dinner? Chances are it's probably not going to happen if it's something serious, but I promise you this, that God is with you in the fight, that he's with you in your faithfulness, that he's with you in your obedience, and he is moving you to that place to set you free. But it often doesn't come without bruises. But I promise you this, Bruises that you bring and that you offer in obedience are going to be much smaller than the ones that come if you just hide in a lie and hide in all of this to what enslaves you and it reveals itself over time. Trust that God fights for you. Trust that if you are in Christ, he is pushing you through the very thing that he's calling you to stand upon. And often it can feel like God led you to a place to drown you. However, could it be that God led you to that place to drown that which has enslaved you? If you will be faithful, if I will be obedient, to step into the places, to face the very things that cause me fear, God uses it to grant freedom. But we have to step. <laughs> we don't just sit here and wallow in our sin. All right, God, yeah, just free me whenever you want to free me. And you just keep struggling and struggling and struggling. And God's like, I'm putting this in front of your path. Would you go deal with it? Nah, it's scary. I don't know the outcome of that one. My sin's predictable. This is unpredictable. And God's saying, that which he leads you to, he's faithful to push you through. Verse 21, or no, verse 26. So we wrap up this chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. And don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Highlight it in your Bible if you're doing it. Not one of them remained. God didn't just defeat some of their enemy. He defeated them all. He crushed them all. Because they were coming against the God of heaven. They were coming against the people who served the God of heaven, 29, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And don't miss this. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people what? Feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and his servant, Moses. God did not just lead his people out of slavery. He totally obliterated their enemy. Why? I think it's because God knew as they kept wandering through the wilderness, if they did not know that their enemy had been defeated, they'd always be looking behind them saying, where is he coming? They must be coming again. Just this haunting ghost of their past when they couldn't live in freedom because this enemy had not been destroyed. God is saying he wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to live in the fullness of the salvation that he's offered. And if you're bound to slavery and if you're bound to addiction and if you're bound to sin and if you're bound to unforgiveness, you and I cannot walk in the freedom that God has given us to walk in. And your past will continue to haunt you. Leave it there which is the fifth point, leave behind that which has been defeated. Leave it there. It's been destroyed. It's been atoned for. You are no longer defined by your sin if you are in Christ. Hear this, this morning, that if you are in this place and you have never given your heart to Jesus, if you have never believed upon his finished work, you are an enemy of God. You are the Egyptian forces that are coming after the people of God and you will lose every single time. But God says that if you will come and believe upon the finished work of my son Jesus who has atoned for sin to set you free, if you will believe that he is who he said he is, if you will turn from your sin and you will turn to Christ and you will believe upon his finished work, in a moment you will be set free. And not just set free, you'll go from an enemy of God to a friend of God, from a person who God is fighting against to a person who God is fighting for. See, here's the beauty of the gospel is that Sometimes I feel like the justice and wrath of God just gets left out. And it's replaced with just the love of God, all the lovey-dovey things, like God just loves people. He does. But even in his wrath and even in his judgment, it comes out of love. But here's the difference. The wrath of God was completely poured out on his own son. In the Old Testament, the wrath of God would, would... You see in the Old Testament, God would annihilate tens of thousands of people. God's wrath is real. His justice is true. And that has not changed because of the new covenant. He still is just. He still is angry towards sin. The only difference is that God has poured out his wrath on his son. So if you believe upon the name of Jesus, God's wrath no longer rests on you because it was rested on his son and you have been set free. But if you don't believe on, upon the finished work of Jesus, God's wrath is not poured over to you on, in regards to his son. It rests upon you and you own it because you have not believed on the name of Jesus. The first step of leaving slavery is you have to believe in the one who has set you free. And I wish that I had more power and more muster and more strength to explain the importance of this because all of life hinges on it. And please hear me in this place. In my deep love for you, if you are not in Christ, you are an enemy of God and you will lose. But if you give your life to him, if you surrender to him, watch as he fights your battles watch as he leads you, watch as he fights for you, watch as he walks with you. See, I think the reason God destroyed the Egyptians was he knew that they would always be in the back of Israel's mind, not allowing them to walk in freedom. Confront that which has enslaved you, allow God to free you, and leave that which has been defeated behind. Why? Because the next battle is coming. We know anything about Israel. Yeah, they crossed the sea, but there was numerous battles after this and they doubted God again. Sound familiar? (laughs) We win the victory in something and we we walk out of this whatever we were enslaved to and it's like, oh yeah, I got it now. And then you're like, dang, that was a haymaker to the side of the face. I never saw that one coming with that issue in my life. (laughs) But the amazing thing about God is he's right there walking with you if you're in him. He's leading you through it. He's fighting for you. When you mess up, get up and say, man, God, I'm so sorry. I messed up again. Here we go again. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to walk to the thing that you're calling me to walk to. And then if you're like me, you're going to fail again. And then you're going to come back to the cross and say, praise God for forgiveness. (laughs) It doesn't happen overnight, but God desires that his people live and walk in freedom And we can't walk in freedom if we don't face the very things we fear, the conversations we fear, the sin we fear. We cannot walk in freedom because it'll always be nipping at our heel like that annoying little dog. (laughs) Face it. Walk to him, come to him, give yourself to him. You can leave behind that which has enslaved you. Why? Because Christ has defeated the grave. So here's the question as we wrap it up. If Marcus and the band want to come up. What is the thing you fear this morning that you need to follow God into, that you need to trust him to liberate you from? What is it? Is it a conversation you need to have with your spouse or your kid? Is it an addiction? Is it an unrepentance? Is it anything? What is it? What is the thing this morning that you need to follow God to that you've been scared to death to deal with because you're uncertain of the outcome? What is it? We all have those things. And if you will be faithful to follow God into that, He will push you through it. He will walk with you in it. And He will grant the freedom that only He can grant. Here's the question Will you follow Him? Will you trust him and will you go forward even if you feel like you're wandering in the wilderness aimlessly with no hope in sight? Will you trust him? Will you believe him? Because he is sufficient and his hand is not too short, it's not too weak, it's not too frail to save and to help you into the things that he's calling you to. Drop your shackles this morning. Trust that he is faithful. Obey what he's calling you to do and walk in the freedom that Christ has given you. Will you be obedient? Will you be faithful? To confront the very thing this morning that is scaring you to death and maybe it's been haunting you for 40 years. Today is the day that you can be set free. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of freedom, but you have to give it to him. You can't do it on your own. You can't control your life. You can't think, oh, I'll do it next week. It's today. Because until you come to him in obedience, until you face the very thing that is scaring you to death, until you face your fears, you will be bound and enslaved, and the enemy will be hunting you down at every step, and you can't get him out of your mind because he is the ghost of your past. Whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. Will you run to him this morning? If you're a believer in this place, like me, we all have these things. Will you trust him with it? Will you trust him with your life? If you're not a believer in this place, if you have never been had your sin atoned for, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that determines the rest of your life. For when you breathe your last, your fate has been determined. And if you are not in Christ, you are far from him and you will remain there and he will not fight your battles. My prayer all week has been this as we close. Would God by the power of his spirit do something so incredible in this place that his people would begin to walk in freedom? Because until we walk in freedom, we cannot be the church that this valley desperately needs. And I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying you walk out and you're like, man, I have no issues anymore. I'm free from them all. (laughs) Not happening, newsflash. But what is the one thing? The one thing that has been eating you alive that you just need to bring to the light, if you will bring it to the light, God will do his work and he will set you free. And it's not just for you it's for all those around you did you know that if you look in scripture there is such thing as generational sin that if sin is not dealt with it can affect generations to come because of my disobedience but the opposite is actually also true if you will come to him you can be the breaker of generational sin. whatever however you were raised by your father or your mother or your aunt or your uncle or your foster family or whatever it is you often you often take what you have been what has been demonstrated to you and you place it upon your family god is saying this morning today is the day to break it don't let that haunt you don't let that define you it's your life, it's your future. Break it, come to me, be obedient, face the things that you fear and watch as I snap the chain of addiction and bring it for the rest of the, your generations to come. You have an opportunity in this place, I have an opportunity in this place to break things that are unhealthy, to trust God, to be obedient for one reason, that your kids would not have it, That generations to come would not have it, the choice is often ours. This is the morning to come to the altar to bow yourself low and say, God, change me, redeem me. I will confront the things that I fear. I'm going to snap that chain, and I'm going to walk in freedom because that's what you have given me. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are a God that is so good and so faithful, God. That you draw me to yourself god that you draw me to my knees on a constant basis god because i need you i'm sunk without you so god i pray in this moment god that your spirit would begin to move with power that you would break generational sin in this place that we would be a bunch of people that face our fears not run from them That we would be a bunch of people that realize that that which has enslaved us is nothing but a false sense of security and it will eat us alive. But your freedom, what you have offered is true security, is true safety. Even if the world's falling apart, you hold us in the palm of your hand. So God, in this moment, in this place, do the things that only you can do. Make us a people that walk in freedom. Make us a people that walk in boldness. Make us a people, most of all, that fall low before you, that worship you for who you are, O King Jesus of all creation. And would Veneration Church be a place with a bunch of people that live within the freedom that you have given because we are not afraid of that which binds us. We face it head on, we deal with it and we move on and we trust you to push us through. When that happens, God, this valley is gonna be just dramatically transformed with the gospel. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. See to it that you're no longer bound by the yoke of slavery. We prayed in Jesus' name, amen. Here's the deal. If you just need to come up and have time with God, this is open, the altar is open, come and just deal with him. God does incredible things with his people that will humble themselves, fall on their face and say, God, I can't do it, I am yours, I need your strength for what is going about to happen, and God, I'm just asking you to fill me. The altar is open, do what you need to do in your chair, up here, whatever, just do some work with God in this next song.